0: Hi, welcome to Personal Finance with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 22, all you need to know about ISA. So whether you're a veteran of the field or you don't even know what ISA is an acronym for, you're in the right place, something for every level coming up. We'll make it easier to understand. And that is essentially our mission with this show, to make every financial issue that you might come across in the course of your life simpler to comprehend and work through. As I said, this is episode 22. And if you've just found us now, first of all, thank you for doing that. And after you finish this one, please check out our previous shows because there's an ever-growing wealth of information on Everything from mortgages to pensions, redundancies to investments, insurances to inheritances. And just recently, a really on-point start to the year, we've been clearing Christmas debt and bill-busting, trying to save you money on the stuff you pay for every month. They all work on their own as standalone features, but have a listen to them all when it suits you, however it suits you, whatever order. And then if you'd be kind enough to rate and review us, we'd be very grateful. Hit subscribe as well, and that way you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop, and you'll be right up to date. For our back catalogue of Money Advice shows, search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. I'm John Millis, and with me as always, the star of the show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Very good. Now, I said today we'd have something for you regarding ISAs, whether you're a veteran in the field or you don't even know what the acronym ISA stands for. So let's start there and see how we get on, shall we? What does ISA stand for and what exactly is an ISA, Phil? It, it stands for individual savings account. And it is
1: it, it, in financial services, there's heaps of acronyms. Um, there really is. And, <laughs> and ISA, a, an individual savings account. So the, 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 one of the key words there is individual. can only have it in your own name, unlike certain other types of savings and investments, where you can maybe have it in joint names, it can only be done in, in one name. It's a savings or investment account. Isis came about, they, they first started way back in 1999. And that's the, the reason I remember that so well, is that's the year that I started off working in a building society. So I started off my career in financial services over 20 years ago now. So that was a, a fair length of time ago. But they, they came in back then, it was to replace what was called TESAS and PEPs. Um, now, back at that time, I think they wanted to try and simplify things and, and they took out this ISA, the Individual Savings Account. But if anything, as you will see, there's so many different types of ISAs and things you can do. So whether it's been simplified, I'm, I'm not
0: just too sure, but uh, they've been around for, for quite a long time now. Yeah, I have actually had one of these in the past. And I was going to say, I thought when I was about 20... Uh, but then he said 1999, and in 1999, I'd have been 26. And then he mentioned Peps, and I thought, well, that rings a bell as well. So I must have had one through the, the the actual switch. If you think that means I came from money, you're wrong. If you think I was earning a wadload of cash, you're also wrong. I was wide-eyed at the world, would never have come up with this myself. But thankfully, I was taken under the wing of a fantastic financial advisor who knew uh, I wasn't making much, but also that I didn't have too many outgoings. So I guess he saw an opportunity for me to to have an ISA. One of the things I remember from that, as you say, is that there, there's a variety of things you can invest in. Um, take us through the different types of ISA that you can have, Phil.
1: They, historically, there, there used to be three. There was the stocks and shares ISA, cash ISA, and there also used to be a, an insurance ISA. But things have changed kind of, and developed over the years. So at, at the moment, you've got a cash ISA, You've got a a junior cash ISA, stocks and shares ISA, a junior stocks and shares ISA, a lifetime ISA, and the the one that we won't really touch too much on today, there's also what's called an innovative finance ISA. So there's certainly plenty to to choose from, um, that's for sure.
0: Okay, uh, lots of variation in types of ISA.
1: Can anybody open one? We, first and foremost, you've got to be a resident in the UK right. uh, or a time servant overseas. So that, that's the first sort of stipulation. The junior ISAs are long-term accounts for children. So you can open them under the age of 18. UK residents aged 16 or over can open a, a cash ISA. And if you're aged 18 and over, you can open a stocks and shares or investment ISA. So there, there's a few different kind of like age limits on on the different ones there.
0: You mentioned junior cash ISAs and, and junior stocks and shares. I'm, I'm going to guess that um, despite the fact these are juniors, they're most likely opened by, you know, grandparents or parents.
1: Yeah, most of the time. It used to be years ago, you used to get the child trust fund, and they, they actually converted into ISAs. Right. The the child trust fund, you couldn't pay as much money in, whereas nowadays the, the amount that you can pay into a junior ISA is now up to £9,000 okay. a year. So that's gone up a, a fair bit. And, and for most people, that would be, be more than than adequate an allowance there. You, you've got to remember, kids don't pay tax on on a lot of their savings anyway, but I the, the junior ISAs are long-term kind of investments, and the kids can't get their money out of them until okay. they they hit the age of 18. So that one, they are a bit more restricted in, in getting it out.
0: I know that we're going to talk about um, tax in, in a future podcast, the next one, I think. But if I'm sitting there with a lump sum of cash uh, and I want to put my money into an ISA in my name, um, can I put one? <laughs> I'm trying to think how best to phrase this without breaking the law, Phil. Can I can I put money into a junior uh, stock uh, and share ISA, for instance, for my my child, but then take the money back myself? No, the the money would be once it's in their name, that's their money, right? So um, it's a gift, in other words. Yeah.
1: So so if you did put money in a junior ISA, that money then belongs to the child. I know. And like I've got six boys, and for me, I've never really paid a lot into the junior ISAs for them because they've got complete control of it at age eighteen. Right. And I know what I was like at eighteen. Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> yes, you cut out straight down to the pub. That, that's yeah. the thing. So, <laughs> so, um, the good thing with an ad, like for for the likes of ourselves, I mean, if if we thought right, we want to put money into an ISA. The the major benefits with an ISA is you have no income tax or capital gains tax to pay on the the money that you make from it. So that's the real, the the main sort of benefits there.
0: Okay, so it's a certain amount that you can put in every year, I
1: suppose? That's right, yep. Um, So so at the moment, you can save £20,000 in an ISA. Now, you can split that. I mentioned that you've got stocks and shares ISAs and cash ISAs. You can actually split the allowance across... Both. Uh, some yeah. people will think, right, I want to pay the whole lot into stocks and shares. For others, they may think, right, I want a cash ISA. I cash ISAs are usually bank or building society accounts. Um, National Savings also do cash ISAs as well. They, they You can get them at the, the post office, the, the National Savings products. Stocks and shares, ISAs, they can include shares and in companies. can be unit trusts, investment funds. So that there is an awful lot of choice out there. So it's trying to get what's best for
0: for each individual. So just to, to go back over this, Phil, because I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit interested in, in the idea of saving £20,000 a year uh, and that not being counted towards my tax. At some point, will it be counted towards my tax? It's not. On, only... When you die,
1: it is included. If right. you've got an inheritance tax liability, it is included in in that. But there's no income, uh, any income you make, or there's no capital gains at all from any investments in an ISA.
0: Okay, so that's that's quite a handy thing. Uh, there's a limit to how much you can put in a year. Is there, is there a, a minimum limit into how much you have to invest? There's not.
1: A lot of the companies, I mean, I know some of the banks and building societies, you, you can open a cash ISA with as little as a pound. Some some of the investment ISAs, they might have a minimum of maybe 25 or 100 pounds. Some some organisations have got their own rules that they may say, oh, we, we'll only open an account if you've got X amount. But um, in general, you, you can start... I mean, the, the other good thing with ISAs is you can do them as regular savings. You can pay lump sums into them. Um, they are very flexible. That, that's one of the good things. The amounts that you can pay in, that all they, you've got that allowance in each tax year. Now, at the moment, the current tax year runs from the sixth of April until the fifth of April the following year. So you've got that maximum limit of £20,000. Some, some of the ISAs, so for example, I mentioned that you've got this lifetime ISA. You're allowed to pay £4,000 into a lifetime ISA and you get extra tax reliefs on that. The, if you pay money into that, you can still pay another 16000 into like a normal ISA as well.
0: Right, so not twenty plus four, but twenty less yeah. four. Yeah, okay. Um, and the other question I was going to ask about that there—oh, God—it's completely gone from me now. Uh, it was just as you were talking. I suppose there are other benefits um, as well as it being tax-free, though. Yeah,
1: I mean, the the good thing there with your ISA is you don't need to—if you have to complete a tax return—you don't need to declare any gains or interest from an ISA on that. So that's one less kind of a bit of admin, should you be in the position where you have to do a, a tax return any every year? Um also mentioned as well that like, you don't pay any tax on on any interest in cash ISAs and you've no like capital gains tax or income tax to pay um if you go for an investment or stocks and shares
0: ISA i just remember what that question was. You, when you were talking about stocks and shares, Isis, some people, I, I guess, might be quite reticent to sign up for one, thinking, oh, I don't know anything about stocks and shares. But that's that's a whole, um, uh, I, I guess, the, the whole advantage of it. You're investing in something that a financial advisor is saying, right, well, we recommend this area to invest in. It's, yeah, I understand got, it. Even with
1: stocks and shares, Isis, you've got like different – Sort of stocks and shares ISAs that you can invest in you, you can actually invest stock brokers um will do like you, you can invest in the shares of a single company so if you thought right i particularly like this company i want to buy so many shares and then you, you can do that through an isa and again any gains you make no tax to pay but what i personally like is i i like to spread risk and and like invest in like a pooled investment. Yeah. So if I was doing a stocks and shares ISA myself, instead of going just for a single company share, I, I like to almost have a basket of shares. Now, some yeah. of them will do well, some might not do so well. But for me, that spreads the risk. But for, for some people, if they're comfortable taking the risks, investing in just a single company or, or companies, can, can I mean, potentially the rewards can be, be very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it can go the other way as well.
0: That's what I remember was someone held my hand and said, right, okay, so there's the, the Western European market, and we're going to put the majority of, of your investment into that. And then there's the, uh, I think it was the Asian market, and that is more sort of um, volatile, or it was at that time, yeah. and therefore we're, we're going to put in a little bit. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, you might not see that again, but there is the chance that you might make um, something something on it. So it's, it's a little bit of a of a gamble, but we're not putting all your money there. We're just putting a tiny amount. So that was the kind of thing that, that was being done back when when I had one of these things. If you're saving that money for a rainy day, though, Phil, um, and that day suddenly arrives, can you access those savings easily enough?
1: You can, and, and one change that, that's happened with ISAs, you, you now get what's called flexible ISAs, now, the, the benefit of that is that if you take money out, you can then actually pay it back in in the same tax year. So to, to give you an example, let's say you've got £10,000 in your ISA, you withdraw three. Now, norm in the past, it used to be you could only add a further 10000 up to the, the limit. But now, if you withdraw it out, you can actually pay that three grand back in and use the rest of your allowance as well. But that's only if an ISA is what's called a flexible ISA. So it's worth checking where you're provided if, if they do that. If you withdraw money out of an ISA, you don't lose any of the tax benefits if you're withdrawing. So that's another point to to kind of note. The only thing I would say is to watch out. If, if you go for some of the banks and building societies, they'll do maybe like a fixed term fixed rate cash isa so they might say right you'll get a fixed rate of two percent for for two years if you wanted to withdraw that out early the the provider may impose a a penalty for for taking it out so that that's just something to to kind of watch out for there as well
0: and uh covering all eventualities the the ultimate rainy day what happens (laughs) what happens to my isa funds if i pop my clogs you know in the event i die what happens to the isa then
1: if, if you were to die, um, usually the executor on your, your estate would close it. I think the, the providers automatically close it. I think it's three years and a day after your death is, is what they would usually do anyway. But one thing that's also changed is, should you die, a spouse or civil partner can now inherit that money and right. still keep it under an ISA wrapper as well. So I've actually got one... Um, my, my work's dealing with someone at the moment where the chap's wife had died. He's getting her ISA monies and that'll just go straight. And he, he's looking to pay that into, like that ISA then becomes his, but it still keeps its tax-free status at that point. So so that is one sort of change. What, one other thing to note, like if if somebody dies, and ISA, I, I did mention that I think earlier was that an ISA would form form part of your estate for inheritance tax purposes. Now you only need to worry about that if you've got assets over the value of three hundred and twenty five thousand, or if you're married, you can double that to six hundred and fifty thousand. So for a majority
0: of people, that's not going to be be an issue at all. Yeah, I think I'm safe enough in that regard. <laughs> um, if if we get sort of you know so far through the year, and I spot another ISA fund doing better than mine. Can I can I do like a mid-season transfer and transfer mine across to that?
1: You can again, as long as there was no penalties from your existing provider, and also the the other thing, some some banks and building societies didn't used to accept transfers in cheapers. I remember, I mean, years ago, the the cash ISA limit was three thousand pounds a year, and you were getting folk transferring it from one bank to another, and and sometimes by the time they they maybe had to pay a twenty-five pounds chaps transfer fee to, to yeah. cover the cost of moving it. And, and by the time you did that, you worked it out and you're like, oh, you've only made 15 quid by moving <laughs> it. And all that hassle, you think,
0: is it really worth it? Yeah. But it,
1: is, it, it can be.
0: A big I, thing to do. I, I suppose you, really by, by now, I should have asked, how do I go about opening an ISA? For, for
1: opening an ISA, you, you get ISAs from banks, building societies, credit unions, friendly societies do them. I mentioned earlier, stockbrokers are, are another place that you can get. Stocks and shares, ISA. you can also, a lot of the insurance companies such as Aviva, Prudential, they all do stocks and shares ISAs as well. But I would say if you were looking to, to take out an ISA or even review existing ISAs that you've got, speaking to a financial advisor or a financial planner, they, they can also help you set them up and review what you've got. And going back, to, to what we were saying there about like if you spotted that yours maybe you felt it wasn't performing very well. You, you can transfer the ISA from one provider to another as long as they accept the, the transfers in. And also you can now another change that happened previously was it used to be that you could move a cash ISA into stocks and shares, but you couldn't do it from stocks and shares into cash. But that's actually changed and you can you, you can move your isa from cash to to an investment stocks and shares one a reason somebody might do that they might think right markets are a bit volatile i want to i want to be invested at the moment i'll I'll put it in cash and then maybe if the market's drop they might think right now's a good time
0: to go back into
1: stocks and shares Mm -hmm. so that that gives people a wee bit more flexibility there as well
0: oh it's a a bit like selling when things are high isn't it you know when you're getting the best price getting the best returns to get into a cash isa when it's good i know definitely um the um, that takes us on to this question which type of ISA is, is best to have for the cash or a stocks and shares one?
1: I, I would say, like, for me, I, I personally prefer stocks and shares ones, but then I've got quite a high tolerance to risk and I don't mind seeing my money going up and down. Also, I can afford to lose part of it so. I, when you sit down with a, a financial advisor, they'll they'll usually tend to f- ask you about like your attitude to risk, your capacity for loss. Can you afford to lose money? So again, a, a good financial planner would, would take you through what's going to be most suitable for you. It also depends what that money's for. I mean, if, if you've got money and you think, right, I'm wanting to pay for my daughter's wedding in a year's time. I wouldn't, yeah. certainly wouldn't recommend taking out stocks and shares one. That's when you'd be better in like cash, cash ISIS. Yeah. There's nothing sure. gets to
0: month before the wedding, oh, you're yeah. waiting money out, markets drop, bad. Yeah. And you've- yeah. But, darling, it's about the honeymoon. Yeah. I, yeah. I, could, I could just imagine. Um, what are the costs involved with a uh, stocks and shares Isa? And uh, I suppose what, what would be the best fund to invest in? If With stocks and shares ISIS, they... The fund fees vary. I mean, they they
1: they can. If it was a self-select ISA where you're buying and selling shares, you would have the the cost of the the sort of share dealing there and a stockbroker to pay. The the sort of ISAs that most financial advisors tend to advise on tend to be these sort of pooled investments, and the the costs can vary quite a bit. You might find your your financial advisor will charge you something, a fee of maybe up to about three percent of the amount that you're you're investing occasionally I've seen some charging up to as much as 5%, right. which is really quite high. Yeah. To me, that's that's excessive. If, if you're paying a, a financial advisor a fee, what I would say is that I wouldn't get that fee deducted from the investment. I would pay that separately, and that means you've got more money invested in the ISA. So if you were investing 20000 and let's say they were charging you a 3% fee of £600 for, for setting it up, If you deducted that from the investment, it would only be nineteen thousand four hundred being invested, whereas if you pay it separately, it would be the full twenty thousand allowance Mm -hmm. being invested there. Um, But the the fees on the actual funds vary quite a lot. I mean, there there is one provider at the moment, Vitality. They they've got uh, like a scheme in place where if if you sign up to to them, they they actually do it. They they've got like a it's called the Vitality program. And it offers discounts on different things. But one of the the things there is it can actually lower your product charges and they they can actually be as little as zero each Mm. year on that. But you you will find most funds will have some sort of charge and that can vary from uh, a quarter of a percent a year, right up to about 2% or more per, per year. So other costs you may have is that one thing we haven't really touched on this yet in any of the shows, but some providers have got what's called a platform and that's just really a place where you can access a lot of different funds through one, one provider. So there may be like I mentioned financial advisor costs, fund costs, platform costs. So potentially there there could be a few different things, but with, with that type of investment, they are you like stocks and shares and investment Isa's are seen as longer term investments, whereas cash Isa's can be long term as well. If if someone was looking to invest more just in the shorter term, cash would usually be the the, the way forward for them.
0: Uh, you mentioned there's a, a variety of places that you can sort of buy into these, whether it's a you know a broker or or whether it's through one of the insurance companies. Um, a financial advisor, though, is going to give you sort of unbiased information. At least, if you're if you're paying them a fee, they're going to recommend what's best for you. Yeah. I
1: was just going to say, you've got like two types of financial advisor. You've got independent financial advisors and then restricted ones. Now, sometimes if somebody's restricted, they're maybe tied to just one company. to To give you an example, when I when I worked at the Skipton Building Society back then, they were tied to Aviva, so the the financial advisor there could only advise on Aviva's products. So they, they had ISAs available, but if you went to them for advice, they, they could just advise on that one particular mm. product. Whereas you, you also get what's called an independent financial advisor. Um, now, they tend not to to be restricted, and they can research the whole market to find the, the best products for the, their clients' needs.
0: Which sounds like the, the the good option to take, I would have thought, in this instance. Yeah. I, I know we spoke about this before, the idea of ethical funds um give us a a recap of what that is and and tell me if you can if you can get ethical ethical funds in a stocks and shares isa phil
1: you can one of the the big things this year is um it's called esg investing and and that stands for environmental social and government governance now esg investing and ethical funds they, they're becoming more and more popular all the time. But there there are plenty of ethical funds that someone can invest in should they want to do it under their, their investment ISA as well. So again, that, that would be a consideration that a financial advisor or financial planner should take into account. I, I know there's new rules coming out later this year where they've got to take that into account. But I think the majority would be, be kind of asking people that anyway these days.
0: Yeah. So if you, if you want to invest with a, with a conscience, then, uh, then that's the way to go, I suppose. Now, uh, each week, so so far, we've covered various topics. Phil's given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. What have you got an experience here, Phil, on ISAs?
1: The, the very first ISA I took out, gee, I mean, I, I didn't know the, the year, but that would have certainly been a long time ago. It, it was actually an ISA that the plan was to use that money to pay off my mortgage. Now, it used to be that folk would do like endowment mortgages. Well, I, my plan was to do an ISA mortgage, but unfortunately the plan didn't last very well. Cause I did start building money up on it. And then one day I was skint. It's like, Oh, I can take this money out. I'll take it <laughs> out. And I can't remember what I used it for, but I was full of good intentions. I, I saved long term, it, but it didn't happen. So I, I know full well myself that it's not always easy to, to save. And I, I would always encourage folk like to try to, to save for their, their future. And for some it, it's easier than others, but um, I know myself, From there, because it was accessible, I was like, oh, I'll be taking that out when I I needed it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, isn't it? We always do this bit as well, Phil. Um, You find inspiration through various people you admire and their quotes. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode on ISIS?
1: I do. This week's quote of the week comes from Benjamin Franklin and it's a penny saved is a penny earned.
0: Yeah, I've heard that one before, Phil. I think probably for your lips Seems as well. obvious one, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, so to summarise in this episode, what's our takeaway on ISAs?
1: I'd say the, the main thing is for people to consider them um, when they're looking at saving and investing. Definitely an ISA is something that you should be, be considering. Certainly given the tax benefits of it, it should always be one of the, the first things that people consider when they are looking at investing or saving money.
0: Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. As you know, if you want to email a question to us, please do. And we can ask them anonymously if you'd like us to. Let's go on to this week's and then contact details coming up so that you can get in touch afterwards, Give it to you after these ones. Our first question today comes from in Aberdeen, who says, hi, Phil, I stay in the UK uh, right now, but I'm looking at moving to Norway with my work. What happens to my pension and savings in the UK when I leave?
1: If if you leave the UK, you, you can leave your pension pot here. I suppose a, a lot of the planning would depend on whether you plan to return or, or when or or if at all. You you can leave a pension pot in the UK if, if you move away. With an ISA. You, you can still contribute to it in that tax year, but the following tax year, if you, you move away and aren't resident in the UK, you can't contribute any more to it. And again, the, the ISA can remain open should you wish to to keep it open. And you can still transfer ISAs between providers if even if you're abroad as well, as long as the providers would would accept it. But I, I guess a lot of the advice around that would be like I, I mean, some people I've kind of moved abroad and then they've said to me, oh, the, the country I'm in, the saving, the interest rate is so much better. I guess you've then got currency risk if you were planning on coming back to the UK as well. So that, that's another. So so you may be getting a better interest rate, but if the, the currency moves against you with, with the rates, sometimes you can lose there. But it is possible to, to keep your pension and like savings currently here, but probably quite a few things to consider in that situation. Okay.
0: Next is uh, Mr. A, who stays in Wick. Now, he's asking, uh, if you think a to let property investment is a good idea, uh, and if so, where's the best location to buy?
1: I, I've always been a, a good – like, is an investment that, that I've always liked. I've, I've got property myself, and I, I do see it as a really good long-term investment. We, we're actually opening an office in Wick at the moment. Um, okay. so that's an area that we're kind of keen to, to grow our business in. The, the good thing with property is you're gaining from the capital growth and the value of the property and then also gaining from the, the income from the rent. Now, you'll find, for example, in Wick, it would be a, a lot cheaper place to buy a property than, say, Aberdeen or Edinburgh, but you'll probably find somewhere like that, the capital growth probably wouldn't go up as much as as maybe some of the bigger cities, but then you, you'll probably find the, the percentage you make off the rent could well be, be higher. So, I would say before MD's looking to buy an allocation, do a bit of research and due diligence, um, see what, what the local estate agents are saying, how they think the, the sort of property market in that location will go. The, the one good thing I would say about buying a property closer to you, so like for this chap, if he was buying one in Cave Ness, it would probably be easier for him to manage if he was looking to do things himself rather than using a leasing agent. Um, so that that would just be one thing sometimes buying locally might you, you might not get the same sort of capital growth or I mean, there might be other areas where you could do get get more but definitely a lot of factors to to take into account
0: for that chap as well. Okay and next time he has a financial query Phil, he might be able to call in in person to uh, I to said, you and wait uh, I would just say, if you've got a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalog uh, before you sort of get in touch because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have covered what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. thank you for joining us today for Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been talking about or anything else of a monetary matter, you can find Phil for finance, search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show, search personal finance with Phil Anderson. That's personal finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, or you can email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is Phil at Philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's Phil at Philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and he could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that is what you'd prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and rate recommend us and please subscribe on apple or wherever you get your podcast that way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it you'll get all the links you need on phil's social media good luck with your money phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further now next time we're looking at tax planning every time i say the word tax i just think dun 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 directly after it Uh, we'll see you then thanks for listening
1: thanks john